numero cinque. Do you know what that means? No. It means number five. Number ah. This number is the five. Episode. We won't be talking about Italian today, but the language we will be talking about is the language of the brain. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it is the language of the brain. That's. I think that's what I'm going to yeah. title the episode: the language of the brain. Okay. I have a couple things here that we have to talk about before we go into the okay. language of the brain. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. First things first, we have to acknowledge that that intro and outro music that we use, the piano, Paul actually composed that. So that's cool. I wanted to give him some credit because that was a really cool little ditty that he just found in his files from years ago, I guess, or something. Yeah, I made it like playing around in GarageBand like four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. And it's just been sitting there doing nothing. He composed that music, which is cool, except I did the... That little dream, little dream cameo at the end of the last episode. Oh, you're I was proud of that one. You're mentioning it. You should just leave it. No, yeah. whatever. If people want to go back and find it, they can find it. I guess. Whatever. I think that's cool. If somebody, if somebody didn't, you know, finish the episode all the way, then oh, they don't have to make them go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then they get to hear it. Okay, and now I really quickly want to go. I keep meaning to do this every time we we uh-huh. record again. I keep, and I've told you already, but. I would like to challenge you on your, your color perception theory. So th- this is, goes all the way back to the very, the very, very first, first episode. episode. Yeah. Because I thought about it more about perception and whatever and how we should be seeing the same colors, quote unquote. So the first thing that I want to talk about is color blindness. Okay. So there's that. And? <laughs> so people are not seeing the same colors just at a basal level because they're wired differently. But they're still not seeing the same colors. Yes, but usually, from what I understand, it's not—it's not like they're seeing different colors or new colors. Um, and I—I I, I don't know much about like how how color blindness physically manifests. Okay, but you do agree that they don't perceive color the same way. So, so one one example is uh, protonopia, um, yeah. and it's uh, an absence of red photoreceptors Mm -hmm. and so if you gave that person something blue and asked them to perceive that color they still have the blue but if you gave them something red then they obviously couldn't perceive red exactly yes yeah so they're still perceiving it differently even though it's the same object is what i'm saying yes and that's you know here's my next rebuttal okay the cytoarchitecture of networks so generally pathways in the brain are conserved across people mm-hmm. and uh, like you know the established pathways in the brain like the white fiber tracks and that's established but everybody's dendritic arbors and everything those are always going to be different so what if you know that kind of thing on a cellular level of firing like an activating activation in different patterns, what if that could contribute to how we perceive things? Uh, well, <laughs> and we don't know that. I, mean, I guess I don't have much of a rebuttal to that, um, right? Because it's kind of like a fingerprint, you know. So even yeah, though yeah. most of it is probably the same, it's probably a little different for all of us. Like the way we perceive the world, cognitively and visually, and maybe sensually. I don't know. I'm not sure. I I am willing to subscribe to that. But you don't have to subscribe to it. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. That's just a possibility. Yeah. 
it's hard to link the neurobiology and the mechanisms to the actual like the more abstract like the the what almost I right know. i think i still hold my ground i was curious what you had to say about that Another thing I want to go back to from episode three was just a little self-awareness check of my own. I'm totally sarcastic. Now that I listen to myself on recording and go back and hear myself, (laughs) I, yeah, self-awareness check for sure. Uh, It's good to know. Yeah, it's good to know. Um, That's probably why people think I'm an asshole sometimes. Perhaps. Anyway. And you're like, no, I'm not sarcastic at all. <laughs> I was like, I'm like 0% sarcastic. Oh, oh, and the one last thing I, I do want to mention is that I have gotten a couple suggestions. Like, I've gotten like maybe two or three people who are like, you guys should kind of like do a summary in the beginning of like what you're going to talk about. So we don't really know what we're going to talk about until we sit down and talk. You know what I mean? I make notes, yeah. but we don't really know the words that we're going to say. Yeah, we kind of just go for it. I was just, I was gonna say I don't I don't know what your full thought is, but my philosophy going into this has been to do exactly that. Just have a casual conversation. At the end, when I'm done recording and, and editing everything, I make episode descriptions. So you guys should check out the episode descriptions if you want a nice little summary of, of what that episode is about. I don't know if many people look at those. Uh-huh. So if you wanna know what it's about, it's usually well delineated on the like you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that. But I do appreciate the suggestions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are good suggestions. Neurotransmitters. Yeah, that's what we said we were going to talk about last episode. Yeah. And now we're here. I think we were talking about SSRIs or something. We can get yeah, to, yeah, get we, to that at some point. Up. But anyway, so neurotransmission. That's the fancy word for the chemical splashing of... Splashing. Things in the brain. Yeah, splat. You know, when little squirts... We got little dopamine squirts. <laughs> oh my god. That, that's one way to phrase it. <laughs> oh man. Dopa squirts. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's good. So uh, <laughs> we will be talking about dopamine a little bit today. A little bit about serotonin. Those are the popular ones. Those are the mm-hmm. ones that get the spotlight every time. In like mainstream. In like, yeah, mainstream neuroscience, whatever that is. Yeah. I, I guess that's a thing. Very common neurotransmitters too. So the, I think the first thing to know, right, glycine, glutamate, GABA, dopamine, serotonin. First, there's a bunch is the first thing you should know about neurotransmitters. Yes. There are a bunch of different kinds. I was trying to figure out how many are established, and I've found a couple different answers, so I'm not really sure. However, there's probably about seven that are always talked about, mm-hmm. right? Those are the ones we've mentioned. And maybe like acetylcholine. Norepinephrine. Norepinephrine. Epinephrine. Epinephrine. Right? If you've ever heard of noradrenaline, that's the same as norepinephrine. Adrenaline is the same as epinephrine. There are a lot of different neurotransmitters. Something I learned, I mean, maybe I should have known this already, but I wasn't sure whether or not every neuron just had one specific neurotransmitter that it releases or if it could have multiple. In short, it can have multiple. Yes. But we used to think for a long time that Every brain cell had a single molecule. Had a single, yeah. Had yeah. A single um, so I think the that original thinking came about pretty early on, um, where it was thought that there was only one type of excitatory and one type of inhibitory right. neurotransmitter. So that's number two. Before you go on, that's the second big thing you should you should keep in mind when thinking about neurotransmitters. There's yes. excitatory neurotransmitters and inhibitory neurotransmitters. The two main ones for each of those, I would say, most scientists would say, 
or glutamate for excitatory, mm-hmm. and GABA, all capitals, G-A-B-A, which is gamma amino butyric acid. That's the main inhibitory one. Anyway, go on. Does it, we'll come back to that too, but those are these are the things we want to drill into yeah. people who are trying to learn about neurotransmitters. Those are important things. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely important. Um, but uh, before the original thinking was that there was only one excitatory and only one inhibitory neurotransmitter. Um, and it, it was originally proposed, and it's called Dale's Law or Dale's Principle, D-A-L-E. Um, and the idea was that one neuron would only be able to possess one of those two types of neurotransmitters. But obviously, we have found a lot more in more recent years. And there are still a few exceptions to this. Like, I think there's one type of neuron that has uh, solely uh, glutamate in one synapse, while in other synapses, it has dopamine. Interesting. Like a purely dopamine synapse versus a purely... Yeah, on the same neuron. Glutamate. And so that, that's like one of the few examples that sort of Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. So, all right. Now we have to get into some of the vocabulary. You guys wanted some neuroscience. I also got some uh, feedback from people saying, like, where's the science? It's like, guys, it's coming. (laughs) This is a hardcore science episode, but we're going to try to make it interesting. I love neurotransmission. I think the concept of neurotransmission is one of the coolest things in the universe. For real. It's pretty foundational. Yeah, for real. And once you understand neurotransmission and how it works... It will help you understand so much more, whether it be how addiction works, whether it be why we have habits, good or bad habits, whether it be how we learn things or all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so there are a bunch of these different kinds of neurotransmitters and some of them are inhibitory and some of them are excitatory. The two main ones, again, is just a little summary, glutamate, excitatory, GABA, inhibitory. Do you want to chat a little bit about what that means paul yeah like brief so and then we're gonna get into like how it all works yeah so very very briefly um when we say inhibitory and excitatory we can think of um a neuron a neuron fires action potentials or electrical pulses that it propagates along uh its axon and I'm now dissecting a neuron's anatomy. I know, that's why I'm like, very briefly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's the main form of communication. Um, there's, there's chemical and electrical communication between neurons. That's the main form of communication is uh, transduction through these synapses uh, with firing action potentials. And an excitatory synapse onto that neuron will drive that neuron to fire more often or more readily whereas an inhibitory will suppress that neuron from firing action potentials uh, more often or more readily. So let me cut you off really quick. Mm -hmm. So basically, when an excitatory neurotransmitter interacts with a neuron, we call that activation, and it turns it on. Mm -hmm. And then an inhibitory neurotransmitter, we call that deactivation or inhibition, and it turns it off. So you can think of it like a switch. And what we mean by turning it on or activating it that neuron can now send another signal to another neuron or more. So what what this is called is electrochemical communication, neurotransmission, right? So that's another field, an entire field within neuroscience is electrophysiology. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's the electrical physiology of, you know, either brain cells or, uh, you know, other cells. It doesn't have to be, it could be muscle cells, for instance, um, that's electrophysiology, right? Acetylcholine, I mentioned before, that's the neurotransmitter that makes muscles contract, I believe. Yes. 
so you can study electrophysiology in a dish with different kinds of cell cells or you know whatever in, in people and animals and everything so uh, there are two parts to neurotransmission like i said electrochemical communication there's the electrical portion of communication and then there's the chemical portion of communication the communication i'm talking about is just exactly what this episode is about again neurotransmission that's what that weird word means you know you can think of that as one brain cell is transmitting a signal to another brain cell right and then you say what's a signal just that's why i said think of a flipping a switch it can just you know whatever on or off means in the world of neurons just just remember that the neuroscientists are probably cringing right now listening to this. Oh, absolutely. Because they're just like, ugh. Like, yeah, obviously. It was like, not obviously, man. This this stuff is really cool, and not everybody knows about it. And it's it's simple enough to understand at a basic level, and then you can get into the real nitty-gritty of electrophysiology. Okay, anyway. Prior to what I'm about to describe, there's what we're going to talk about right after this part it's what it's what triggers what i'm about to describe so the chemistry the chemical part of the electrochemical communication is it's kind of the, a chicken or the egg situation so basically once a neurotransmitter clicks in you can think of it a lot of the times neuroscientists will describe it as a key and lock kind of concept right you you click in you know a ball to a circular keyhole that's that's going to fit because it's the same shape so you can think of it as there's these receptors on a membrane and we'll get more into that later but once those receptors are kind of clicked into by a specific neurotransmitter they'll have an influx of ions which are just particles that are electrically charged here's the thing you have to wrap your head around to understand this concept is that electricity basically when it comes down to it is chemistry yeah, it's, it's the flow of electrons. The flow of electrons is chemistry, and that is electricity. So you have to kind of wrap your head around the fact that when you're looking at these positively or negatively charged molecules or atoms, right, then they're, it's kind of like, you know, when does it really become a chemical? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you can have a, a positively charged hydrogen atom, but that doesn't make it not a chemical, but it doesn't make, but it has a positive charge, like a positive value. Yeah. Anyway, so that's something I think that a lot of people struggle to get their mind around because there's kind of a gray area when something, I think, at least in my opinion, when something goes from electrical to chemical, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there are a lot of chemical things that aren't charged with anything. They're just neutral. Like most of the things in our environment are usually neutral, I think. Yeah. So that's something you have to really wrap your head around to understand some of this stuff. But anyway, so neurotransmitters that click into excitatory receptors, they allow the influx of positively charged ions. There are different kinds of positively charged ions, right? There's calcium is positively charged. Magnesium is positively charged. Sodium. Sodium is positively charged. Something else you have to think about that is just brutally so brutally important in electrophysiology is understanding that the membrane of the cell it always has a charge it's always like wrapped in a charge basically yeah and so when the receptors 
have this influx of either positively or negatively charged molecules or ions, right? And receptors are a whole other situation. That's like, it's a whole other subfield of neuroscience, right? It's studying receptors. So when a neuron is receiving a chemical communication from another neuron, it emits within itself, because neurons are long, you can think of them as like these long, slender, like wires, basically. It will send a signal from like the part of the neuron that received the message, the dendrites, and it'll go to the end of the neuron to send that message down its axon to the next neuron. This just happens all the time in the brain at incredible speeds in a million different parts of the brain at the same time. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So when the signal is received, that membrane balance where previously the neuron was at a specific, the membrane was at a specific charge, the influx of these ions will cause what's called, and Paul has mentioned it a couple times, an action potential. And the action potential is just a fancy word for an electric zap, basically, that moves from, like I said, the part of the neuron that received the signal to the part of the neuron that's going to send the signal to the next neuron. Mm-hmm. And so neuroscientists call this an all-or-nothing event because you have to get the membrane of the neuron to a specific threshold before it's like, okay, and then sends the signal. Once you get to that threshold, it'll send the signal. So it's either all or nothing, right? You have one more ion, like you have the exact amount of ions you need, the signal will be sent and it cannot be stopped within the neuron itself. That sounds maybe kind of intimidating to a lot of people, maybe boring to some people, maybe confusing to a lot of people, but all you have to remember so far is that the neurotransmitters click into receptors. The receptors are like these channels, right? They're literally called channel proteins, some of them, that allow the influx of these positively or negatively charged ions that are always swimming around in the environment of our brain the soup the soup around all this out a little soup sorry i haven't really let you talk much so do you now want to kind of describe a little bit about the chemistry like a little bit about the chemical side of electrochemical communication you talk a little bit about like exocytosis and like snare proteins and all that kind of kind of stuff i've never heard of a snare protein before really Really, really cool. They're, they're the proteins that are involved in anchoring a synaptic vesicle to the membrane of the presynaptic neuron and then, like, release of exocytosis. Yeah, snare proteins. They're a large protein family. This is the, from the Wikipedia page. Large protein family consisting of at least 24 members. The primary role of snare proteins is to mediate vesicle fusion, the fusion of the vesicles with the target membrane, blah, 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 whatever. Or they mediate exocytosis, the snare protein, all capitals, S-N-A-R-E. Yeah, okay, okay. It's just a cool name, too. It's like snare. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention, very, very important. These two words are going to help you understand everything. Presynaptic neuron and postsynaptic neuron. Pre is the neuron sending the signal, and the postsynaptic neuron is the neuron receiving the signal. So that's just something if you hear us throw those words around. Pre means the one that sent the signal and post is the one receiving it. Once the action potential, that electrical signal that starts from position A and ends in position B, once it gets to position B from position A, it triggers the release of the neurotransmitters. Yes. By a million complicated other ways. But now, Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about what happens before the electrical signal is sent? So 
before the action potential arrives at the end of the sending neuron, um, different neurotransmitters are individually packaged into vesicles. And what a vesicle is... Those are synaptic vesicles. That's a vocabulary word, mm -hmm. synaptic vesicle. And so what these are basically like small little encased things mem of membrane yeah. um, surrounding these specific neurotransmitter chemicals. Um, and when the action potential arrives at the end of the neuron and at the synapse, the presynaptic neuron, the one sending the signal, releases these synaptic vesicles into the synaptic cleft. And what that is, the synaptic cleft, is it's just a term describing the small region uh, directly in between the presynaptic and the postsynaptic neurons. Once the synaptic vesicles are released from the presynaptic neuron into the synaptic cleft, then um, they are unpackaged from the vesicles and the neurotransmitters can bind to the receptors, their specific receptors, on the postsynaptic neuron on the other side of the synaptic cleft. And once that occurs is when sort of the signaling pathways to cause differences in the relative concentration of ions in the postsynaptic neuron happens. And that can, in the excitatory case, lead to uh, the, the receiving neuron to fire its own action potential and transmit that whatever signal further along the path. Okay, so you guys can probably see so far how circular this kind of system is, right? Mm -hmm. The electrical signal comes from the neuron first, and then it sends a, a chemical signal to the next neuron, which then triggers an electrical signal within the neuron that then triggers a chemical reaction at the end of that neuron. Yes, exactly that. This is what, you know, some of the knowledge we're trying to equip you with in neuroscience that's super useful in understanding our behavior, but also just how things work a lot better. So this concept of neurotransmission that we're talking about, this is why people are addicted to things. This is why our habits are so hard to break. Also, another really important thing to remember about neurotransmission is the, the more signals that are sent from one neuron to the other, they will form a stronger connection. And what a stronger connection, what that really means is that the neurons just grow closer to each other. And so they're able to send the signal faster. And so that is why and how we learn things. And that's why behaviors become so engraved in our, you know, our repertoire of human behavior. That's, this is the, the very basis of everything that we are mm -hmm. about, you know, yes. humans. And I just want to quickly plug a review paper that I, I felt was very informative um, sort of in regard to like these synapses changing and like getting stronger, for example. Um, that's oftentimes termed uh, long-term potentiation or potentiation in general. Right, right. And there, there's like different types, like short-term and long-term types of like changes going on at different synapses. But there's a really great review that sort of outlines the history and some of the like specific neurobiology going on that I think is very approachable for many readers. As like a general um, audience? Yeah. Well, it's not fully general. It, it gets a little more sciencey, but it does outline the history very well. Cool. Um, the author was is Robert Nickel, N-I-C-O-L-L. -L. It's worth checking out. It's called A Brief History of Long-Term Potentiation. Cool. Um, you know, there there are so so many it's 
so complicated in so many ways. Oh, it is. Just always think of millions of all these different proteins, which we'll get into what proteins even are, but protein is everything, basically. But <laughs> proteins, they float around in the cells, and they all have these specific functions that do different things. Just so we mentioned synaptic vesicles before. There's a specific set of proteins that is targeted to synaptic vesicles. <laughs> so, like, these are proteins that are, like, this is a synaptic vesicle. Even though that synaptic vesicle is made out of the same material that the skin of the cell is. So, there's... there's The skin of the cell. Okay. Yeah, you can think of the, the membrane of the cell as, like, the skin of the cell, right? The vesicles, the synaptic vesicles we're talking about, are made from the same exact material. So, so going from that, uh, I hope we have adequately described uh, sort of the basics or the fundamentals of neurotransmission. Um, but one thing we mentioned in the beginning is sort of like, like how this links to like behaviors and whatnot. Right. So like and, what, what is it about neurotransmission that knowing about it can increase the quality of our life? Yeah. I think one, the thing that prompted us to talk about neurotransmission. This episode was the brief mention of SSRIs, or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, in the previous episode. Inhibitors. Inhibitors. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so, so now I think we what have... What these are, just so we can put it out there, antidepressants. That's what yeah, these are. Yeah, the, the, this is a, a, a very common type of antidepressants. Right. Um, so if you're currently taking an SSRI, which has is usually described as an antidepressant, sometimes an anti-anxiety medication, mm -hmm. then we're about to describe the, the steps at which it, the, it happens yeah, and how it works. mode of action. Um, and so the idea there is, I, now that we've kind of laid the groundwork for what's going on, we know that serotonin is uh, a neurotransmitter in the brain. Presynaptic cells um, have action potentials and they release these chemicals into the synaptic cleft and they are taken up by other cells, the postsynaptic cells. And so what a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor does is that, I guess first to describe reuptake, that, that's another important process. Yeah, that's, a very, that's an important word to remember. So when, when these neurotransmitters are released into the synaptic cleft, they are going to bind onto uh, their appropriate receptors on the postsynaptic end, but not every single serotonin molecule is going to bind there will be some left over in the synaptic cleft. And so what happens is that this extra serotonin is sort of cleaned out. And so um, the leftover serotonin in the synaptic cleft is reuptaken um, or just cleaned out. Uh, and I think it's usually absorbed by the presynaptic cell or yeah. by glial cells surrounding the synaptic cleft occasionally. Um, I'm not sure if that's specific for serotonin or not. Um, and also the, the serotonin that is, uh, that is binded to the, the postsynaptic end um, of the synapse. Though those serotonin molecules eventually unbind and they also end up back in the synaptic cleft and that gets uh, reuptaken yes. as well. So we like recycle our neurotransmitters, right? They go into the cleft, outside of the cell, and they come back into the cell. Mm -hmm. And so in the case of depression, um, it's, uh, it, I think it's been sort of, put out into like popular science that serotonin is a molecule that makes us feel happy um, for yeah. example yeah um, definitely and so the idea behind depression and ssris and how they work is that we like have this lack of joy or lack of uh enthusiasm about 
just day-to-day things. And the idea there is that there's not enough serotonin um, transmission occurring. And whether that's uh, a result of like fewer receptors on the postsynaptic end to bind to serotonin or whether the reuptake of serotonin is too fast, the idea behind these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors is that it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin specifically. And so more serotonin is left over in the synaptic cleft, which means it can bind, unbind, not get reuptaken, and then rebind again. And so it continues that activation more than what it would have done previously without the drug. So the pills that we take for the SSRIs, right, they're not pills of serotonin, no. right? Serotonin's an endogenous molecule, right? That means it's, it's produced within the body, right? We produce our own serotonin. These pills are full of this molecule that will block the reuptake of the serotonin. So selective just means we're talking just about serotonin, right? So selective serotonin, reuptake, we described what reuptake is, inhibitor. So it inhibits, it blocks the reuptake, and that's why there's extra serotonin in the cleft longer than it should, it would normally be there for. And another thing too, reuptake, you know, doesn't just apply to serotonin. It also applies to norepinephrine, for instance. So SNRIs, those are other things you can be prescribed. Those are selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and that does the same thing, but just with norepinephrine. And with more norepinephrine in the cleft, the synaptic cleft, sometimes it gives us more of a, gives us more of a kind of like a stimulated, you always hear the fight or flight situation. We're kind of like ready to fight when we have norepinephrine in our, in our cleft. So you're like a little bit less nervous, but still energized. I mean, it is involved with a million things, but your energy or your attitude is more excitable. Yeah, your attitude is more excitable for sure. So those are SNRIs, right? And then there are other types of medications that you guys would be surprised. People don't even understand how some of these medications work. They just put it in a person and they get these results. And then anyway, you know what? We might have to come back to neurotransmission in another episode because there are so many other cool things to talk about. You know, we, we will, we should come back to it for sure. But I hope we gave you guys a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of what electrophysiology is and how these signals in our brains are sent. And the take-home message is that this is always happening in a million different areas at levels we can't even comprehend, right? We have 100 billion neurons or something. Yeah. And, you know, they're all talking to each other all the time. Oh, and we keep forgetting to plug the Twitter, which has like eight followers so far. Yeah. Follow Guys, <laughs> go follow it on Twitter. I'm going to post, you know, things about the episodes and how they're, they've been late recently because I'm procrastinating everything. Whoops. We also have the Twitter, at Brainy underscore Days. We have an Instagram brainydays.podcast and we have email brainydays.podcast at gmail.com if you want to make any suggestions or recommendations or whatever make any comments questions corrections keep meaning to plug that for the end of the episodes so we are we, we do have to leave with one more comment paul is actually moving out tomorrow right we're roommates we said that in the past he's moving out tomorrow and it's just going to be the hectic next couple weeks so we're going to take a little break mm-hmm. we're going to skip an episode next week yeah. And then we'll get back on it at some point we'll come the back next Wednesday. Next yeah. So we'll have these five episodes out for a little while. We're going to skip next week and then we'll we'll get back on it. Yeah. And that was the episode on neurotransmission. Hope everybody's rainy days are a little bit brainier today. I just wish you guys could see Paul <laughs> Every time he says it. I mean, they're, ah, they've been really rainy days recently. Yeah, they have been. But anyway, thank you again, everybody. Peace. Bye. Thank you.